Hi, rookies. I'm your host, Tavi Gevinson. And before we start this week, I just wanted to say how excited I was to see the first episode of the Rookie Podcast listed as one of the best podcast episodes of 2017 so far on Time Magazine's website. Uh, And it also comes at a good time because you'll recall that first episode featured my interview with Lord. And next week, we'll have the second part of that interview just in time for you to listen and get really excited for her album release also coming next week. Melodrama, June 16th. It's been in my calendar since whenever she announced it. So now on with the show. This week, I'm interviewing Condola Rashad, who I just saw in the play A Doll's House Part 2 on Broadway. She's nominated for a Tony for her performance in it. You may also know her from a bunch of TV shows and movies, such as the show Billions. When I was little, I was like, when am I going to get to become a magic lady? I called actors and actresses magic people. Like, magic lady meant actress. So that's really, like, what it is. Then, rookie contributor Krista Burton, our life skills genius, has some tips for you about how to look stylish on a very tight budget. Not wanting to look totally flat-out broke and still wanting to look good and stylish is okay and does not make you vain. But first, we have a new edition of Ask a Grown, where we send your questions about life, love, school, etc., to the adults we have on the show, and they give some very grown-up wisdom. Here's Ask a Grown with the musician Annie Clark, also known as St. Vincent. This one is from Jules. How do I be confident? I moved to a new country a month ago. I've had to go out looking for my first job and exploring by myself. I've found I can barely even walk out my house because I am so afraid of people and that I'm not good enough for anything. I'm too scared to walk inside a shop if there are other people inside. I ask my brother to go with me just to pay for things. I sit in the most deserted area of the beach if I happen to go. I cringe just walking past people, and I've had multiple people tell me I'd be more attractive if I was more confident. Is that true? Is confidence really attractive because people always tell you to, quote, be yourself? And I guess if I'm myself, I'm not confident. But then again, they also say fake it till you make it. What should I do? It's getting worse and I start university in four days. I am a wreck purely because I know there are going to be people I don't know there. Normally I wouldn't bother asking, but this confidence thing is starting to control my life in a really negative way. Please help. Love, Jules. Um, Okay, Jules. That's, yeah, that's a lot of a question. Um, Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of anxiety going on, which I completely relate to. my uncle gave me advice when I was probably 15, and I was also very, very shy and um, very anxious and, you know, like would have to make sure I knew where all the exits were if I was in any kind of public space and kind of and was very uncomfortable talking to people. And I think one thing that really helped me was to know that, and it sounds like not quite a good thing but that no one's looking at you and no one cares because everyone is obsessed with themselves Mm -hmm. so that's one thing and know that other people are feeling the same way as you and two I think the faking it till you make it thing is very real if you don't have confidence pretend to be a person 
who does and eventually you will have confidence because you'll see kind of the fruits of your reaching out to people but but mainly no one's looking at you and no one cares because they're all thinking about themselves I, I think you your that was good advice from your uncle was it it was yeah, yeah. uncle tuck Thank you, Jules, for sending us that question, and thank you to St. Vincent for answering it. You can get all the news you need about Annie by going to her website, ilovesaintvincent.com, and I hope you've listened to her latest self-titled album and watched all of her amazing videos. I think there will be more from her soon. Coming up on The Rookie Podcast, Condola Rashad on playing an abandoned daughter in her latest theater role. Stay tuned. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Condola Rashad plays an assistant district attorney in the hit TV show Billions, and in the last few years you might have also seen her on TV in Master of None or Elementary. But Condola's also had a really successful career on stage. She's been nominated three times for a Tony Award, and she's 30 years old. Her latest nomination is for her role as Emmy in A Doll's House Part 2, which, as you'll hear, I saw last week and really loved. Condola Rashad, thank you so much for being here. Totally. Um, I just saw you in A Doll's House Part 2 on Broadway. It's a new play by Lucas Nath, uh, directed by Sam Gold. It has an amazing cast. You're one of four incredible people in it. Thanks. Um, Can you just tell our listeners what it's about and who you play? Sure. So I'm not sure. Well, for those who are not familiar with A Doll's House Part 1, Doll's House Part 1 is this play that was written by Ibsen in the late 1800s. And basically what the main story of that is about is it's basically about a woman who, by the end of the play, decides that she is not able to be free in herself and stay in her domestic situation. And basically at the end of it, she walks out of her marriage and and she's got these two children and she leaves them as well. And that was a huge uproar back then because who does that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, who does that, quote unquote? But she did it. And and so it was this huge thing. So Adult House Part 2, Lucas Nath decided to be very cheeky and name it A Doll's House Part 2. <laughs> and basically it is, he basically picks the story up from 15 years after she walks out the door, our play begins. She comes back. Um, you discover that there's some unfinished business between her and Torvald. Torvald was her husband that she left. And there is something that she very desperately needs from him in order to continue living the life that she's lived for the past 15 years. And it's presented to her that it's just not going to be so easy to get that thing. And so the whole play happens between Nora, Torvald, her ex-husband, kind of, <laughs> and um, Anne-Marie, who was the, um, the nurse who raised her, um, and her daughter, Emmy, who was, yeah, three when she left and is now 18. Um, and I play Emmy. Um, and so there, every single scene happens in a kind of, it's almost like a boxing match where it's like, okay, 
Nora versus Torvald. How does that go? That didn't work. Nora versus Anne-Marie. And then finally, it's Nora versus Emmy. It's such an ambitious and really exciting play to read. When you first came upon it, what drew you to it and to the character? So uh, I first read it last August, and I had been hungry to get back on stage. It had been about three years, and I was just waiting for something that really called to me, and I just had to have that feeling where I have to do it. And what I really loved about the play was really the way that Lucas, he allowed every single character, because they all have very different points of view, and they're all very passionate about their points of view. And what I loved about what Lucas did is he gave them all a place to speak their minds, and they were all have great points. And so what I loved about it was that I could I didn't read the play leaving like, oh, well, clearly, like, I, this is the, you know, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. I left being like, oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I completely agree and disagree with all of them. Mm-hmm. And how exciting is that? And And I feel like in this moment in our society, it's something that is really necessary. We're being, you know, politically, socially, in almost every single way, we're being forced to deal with each other in ways that maybe we didn't think we would ever have to. And I think a big part of that is actually allowing yourself to listen to someone who has a completely different, you know, set of values, even if you don't like it. And that can be uncomfortable. But yeah, no, where when we're at. The friends I saw it with, when we left, everyone seemed most struck by how much it felt like everyone was right and everyone was wrong and no one was right and no one was wrong. Like watching it just felt like when you're kind of a year out of maybe a relation. Well, these people are obviously like years out of a relationship. (laughs) But um, and you're just like, oh, like nothing really bad happened. Everyone just is really different from each other. Yeah. That was my uh, personal (laughs) reflection on it. I don't know. Take it or leave it. But it's interesting interviewing you while you're still in the middle of a run. You're actually between two shows on a two-show day right now. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, one reason why theater is so crazy is that you have to promote it and like talk about the character and all this work you're doing while you're still doing it in front of people every night. Yeah. This show has been talked about a lot. Everyone in it is nominated for a Tony. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And it's the most nominated play of the season. Mm -hmm. How has your performance evolved or just the experience of it changed when all of those outside voices become really loud but you're still trying to be that character every night that's a really that's a really great question and I think that that's our constant struggle as artists in in theater right it's Mm -hmm. like it it is a struggle and people I think sometimes forget that it's not like we're in a film or we're promoting something that we've done already like we we're going to talk about it and then we're going to go do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it, it really is a big um a big thing I can say though in my experience of how this play kind of worked, we had two workshops of it last year. Wow. This is a new play. Yeah. And so we had two little, like, workshops, and they were mainly for Lucas to kind of solidify the play. There were still some things that he was working on, and we were playing with, with the arguments in the place, making sure they were, they were balanced. Hmm. So we had that. So we were kind of in this bubble for quite some time. Then we started rehearsals in February, and we were um, we knew we were going to be in um, in classic garb. We knew that. But it wasn't really until we got on the stage that, for me anyway, that I started to really find 
what it is that I wanted to do. I know that sounds crazy because normally, normally it's like in rehearsal I feel like I find something and then and then all of a sudden we go to another space. And I'm like, oh, actually, now it's this. But in rehearsal, I felt genuinely I was like, okay, I really don't know. I just don't know. I really hope I can figure this out because I, normally at some point there's a there's like a click that happens in rehearsal where it's like obviously it continues to grow, but at least you feel like okay, that's the path that I'm. Gonna. So for me, I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It wasn't until the first audience, even then, I felt like I was, I, it was the most nerve-wracking experience. So a big, all that to say, a big part of me actually really finding what this was happened in previews. That was really mm-hmm. when it happened. Um, and then I think what, what's been a little interesting is normally, well, I, I won't say normally because there's no such thing as normal, but... In, in past experiences, and I've, if I've been in a play that where either someone from the play was nominated or the play was nominated, it's like we opened months before, then there was the, all the talk about it, and then you kind of can you can have your run, and then you find out later that right. it gets nominated. We opened four days before the nominations came out. So Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, like, our whole opening experience has just been like this, so we don't really know. It kind of just feels like our norm because we don't know we don't have another experience to pull from but right. i still think it's really really tricky to the the play itself is so he- it's so heady and it's so wordy emmy this character that i'm playing she speaks relatively quickly kind of like me but extra <laughs> amped up version of myself in order to do that clearly uh i find that i have to take the time to be really still before the show which sounds like, oh, maybe maybe some people would think like, oh, don't you need to kind of get yourself what, you know up to that place where you're speaking? But actually what I have to do is I have to be completely silent for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. just to kind of like let it all slow down <laughs> and, and, and connect into what it's going to be, you know? Um, sorry, that was a very long-winded no, answer. No, not at all. <laughs> That's what this is for. Do you listen to the scenes before yours? No. I don't. Um, my my castmates do. We have a big television screen backstage. Uh-huh. There's a few reasons why I don't. I actually don't start getting dressed mm-hmm. and into my wig until um, the show's already started because the way that the dresses are set up, it's like I'm. I don't get on the stage until about 40 minutes into it. So they're dressing everybody else, and then in the middle of it, that's when mm-hmm. they come up. It's like the first 20 minutes of the play is the time that I'm being completely quiet, and then when that you know after that I'm you know I get ready but I what happened was is that I noticed that you know I would turn the monitor on in my dressing room but the play has so many points in it that in order for me to actually just stay focused on what Emmy's goal is I can't hear all of the pre-stuff because then I actually get like wait a minute I just heard that for the first time I totally don't I disagree with that entirely I really did you know what I mean I have to actually zone out so that when I get on stage the first thing that happens is hi I'm Emmy and that's all I know is what I've been told based on what the play is about some people find it helpful too because that we have the screen because you can kind of hear how an audience is is absorbing information that night um, which I can totally see. Oddly enough, it helps me not to know that. Yeah. Because this is a play where the minute that you, this is what I love about doing the play. As an actor, it's a wonderful exercise because you just cannot get too used to anything. It's like the minute you're like, oh, that's a great little beat moment. Tomorrow, oh, no, that's yeah. not it. <laughs> that audience isn't having that's it. That's not it. So it's yeah. almost better t- for me personally to not, make any of my decisions based on what I know about the audience. I can't, I, I just, it's its not a good headspace for me yeah. to be in. Ugh, I've spent so much, I've 
waste it. I guess I learned from it, but I spent so much time like trying to read the audience's mind and being like, oh, they're like this tonight. And it's like, you really don't, you think you can read the like emotional temperature of like hundreds of people (laughs) who aren't talking? Yeah, It's it's almost like superstition. Like you kind of, sometimes it it can feel like comforting or like you're in control if you like have a sense of what. Totally, that's what I'm saying. Like I get it if it works for people. And I guess in certain situations, I could see it working for whatever reason in this one. Mm Mm-hmm. It does, because then also this play moves so quickly that, like, if you thought that that was going to happen and that didn't happen, then you you might run the risk of being in your head about why it didn't happen and then you miss what happens, (laughs) right? You know what I mean? So then it's like, okay, I got to just stay on that. That's the thing about this play. It's crazy. (laughs) We talk about all the time. Like, I have been, listen, we're human beings. Like, (laughs) I have been in many situations where I've dropped a line. Okay, come on. Like, and it's been like, okay, drop that line. But I know the story well enough to be like, okay, either I'm going to pick it up somehow. Right, right. Or even though I said that a funky way, I know you know what I meant. And I know, Mm. you know what I mean? You trust your, you trust your, the actor that you're on stage with. This plays a little (laughs) different because even though I know that the actor that I'm working with, in this case, it's always Lori, because Lori is the Lori Metcalf is who plays Nora. Oh, she's, um, she's really the only person that I have. Like, the, the, my main scene happens between Emmy and Nora, so and it's me and Lori. So um, there are certain times where I can I know that even though I said a, a, a line a different way, I know that she knows what I meant. But the play functions in such a way where, like, no, but if you don't say it like that, like, if you, like, sometimes I'll take a word that's meant to be over here and it ended up at the end of the sentence. It, there's something about it where, like, it'll hit your ear differently. <laughs> like, yeah. You can be like, wait, what? What happened? Something's weird. I don't know what it is, but something's weird. And then if that happens, the best thing you can do is keep going because what, hens- what, en- what ends up happening is in this play, it'll go like, okay, something was off, but then you try to figure out what happened and the rest of it's going to be off. <sighs> so you have to just be like, nope, I don't know, keep going. It's <laughs> like being an athlete. Yeah. I mean, in this show especially, I mean, it's like all of the, especially because it deals so much with the kinds of like milliseconds in, of an exchange or in a relationship that's like, yeah, like, oh, why'd you put that word at the end of that sentence instead of in the beginning? <laughs> totally. Do you find that there's space to still, like, play around within that? Or is mm-hmm. it just more satisfying to, like, stick to that and then other things kind of happen? Yes, there is room to play around in it. What you have to stick to, what I have to stick to is just listening. That's what I can't, that's the one thing that can't. And again, I mean, I say that and it's like, well, yeah, duh, like what we do, it's a listening game. So I know that that's kind of like a an obvious thing to say, but mm-hmm. it really is true. Like th- we can play around in it because if you're listening, you'll notice that it was different today than it was yesterday so mm-hmm. that you can actually adjust the way that you respond to it today right? because we were listening. Does that right, make right, sense? Right. So yeah, it's no, like, totally. Yeah, so it's like we don't want to – it's like this weird fine line between not like adding bells and whistles on top mm-hmm. of, the, of the lines to try and make something more of it, but just allowing it to be different every day because every day is a different day. So it's like, okay, she said that a little bit I, – I, or I heard something differently in that, and right. that now – that kind of just hit me in a different way. But if I'm not listening – then I just go based on like what I know this moment is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that can, you know what I mean? Like that, that like, version, we're humans. Yeah. Like, that can happen. So I think it's been, this has just been a really great ex- uh, um, exercise as to like, you know, when that happens, you go like, nope, that's okay. I, that's happening. Not going to let that happen again. Let's go back into what we were doing. We were being focused. <laughs> we were being in the present, you know? So it's great. 
In the original Doll's House yeah. by Ibsen, mm-hmm. Emmy is the character you have the least information about. Yeah. How did that impact the way you... Uh, approached her now when she's 18. So that was a little bit exciting and also daunting because I was like, oh, it's exciting. I kind of get to, to kind of get to build this this person. But then also it was like, but everyone else is already kind of okay. All right, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, hopefully, I you know, I think that that was a big that was a big challenge for me only because I had I had spoken to a few friends of mine that I do happen to know who's mothers in particular were not around for their Hmm. childhood. Some of those conversations were very heartbreaking. Some of those conversations ended up being comical on their part because of the way that they dealt with it. What I learned from talking to my my friends is that that's just a really, really complicated space for them. And so my biggest thing is like, how do I play this character and bring the truth that I know is is what it is so that people that do see this, if there are people in the audience whose mothers have, it, it doesn't seem not, ri- not real to them, mm-hmm. but also tell the truth as to what it is that I've been, the, the lines and the writing that I've been given. Right. So that was the biggest challenge because, for example, it's like, you know, in this play, one might expect like, oh, great, here comes Emmy. This is going to be like a real screaming match. But then it actually it's not. And in the way that he's written it, it's even more uncomfortable because it's actually like <laughs> you don't really know what she did. It's like it's like sometimes it's tense. She can say things that are very biting, but with a smile. And with like, mm-hmm. so it's like it, so that was the biggest the challenge for me was just finding the truth in in what he wrote and also what it is that I know that I've spoken to other women about. And I wanted to put that in there as well. So it was kind of marrying both of those worlds. Yeah, one of my friends I saw it with was like, yeah, my dad wasn't around and like my number one goal is like a family where everyone's around. And that's kind of where Emmy is at. Absolutely. It's just so interesting how it still felt so relevant. Were you ever like, oh, is this going to feel like it's a kind of outdated idea of marriage or it's like Norway in the 1800s. Or you mean Emmy's point of view? I guess like the situation and the... Oh, I see. I don't know. That's um, kind of a half-baked No, thought. I know what you mean though because like, yes, technically with, divor- the, with the idea of divorce, there are certain things that are technically different than they were then. So right, there's wanna... all this legal stuff. Yeah, and like that there's still, know. you know, there's definitely inequality, but it's not exactly the same way that it was. In... So... We knew that we were presenting a story in that time frame, but we mm-hmm. felt that the issues underneath it is what made it current and was what made it relevant, if yeah. that makes sense. And even, like, Emmy's point of view, like, my biggest thing with Emmy also was why when I read it, I was really moved by it. Um, Emmy has, a, I would say, more conservative approach to her life um, than, than I do. And so when I read it, what I was really moved by was I was moved by a an opinion that's very, very different from my own. And I felt that I was able to look at this character through a different lens. And that made me feel like, oh, this is a beautiful thing. Like, if we can start to see each other as our fellow human beings who just have different experiences and, right. and, and they celebrate each other and, and and respect each other, like, that is a beautiful thing. So, um, but my biggest thing my I, I fought, for, fought for Emmy was that, like, don't just... And never, it's never the intention, but sometimes, you know, I just felt like I had to say this. Mm-hmm. I was like, don't just make her this 
it's so easy to pass her off as this. Yes, she is young. Yes, she is innocent. She is. But it's so easy for us liberals mm-hmm. to pass off someone who wants this for their life as just this like, oh, I don't know. It's just so easy to do that and so not respectful to do that. Like, why do that? Like, <laughs> maybe the person actually does really want that. Can you imagine that where someone actually wants something different from yourself? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there is this kind of reverse stigma towards people that actually do want to get married and right. do want that for their lives. Like, we, we have to be able to all exist on the planet, you know? There are so many (laughs) young women I've spoken with who are like, well, I would call myself a feminist, but, like, I want to have kids, and I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I know, I'm like, like, oh, no. We've gone too, we've gone, not (laughs) we've gone too far, but there's something about the way that we've labeled it, where it's like, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, in order to want those things, you have to not be a feminist. That's not fair. And conversely, like, I find myself talking about, like, the importance of, like, my personal life and things that kind of balance out how focused I've been on work since I was very young in ways that could sound like like putting a like a romantic relationship before everything but in a way for me it's just more like I don't want to be a careerist I don't want to do everything in my life Oh my God! Don't do this more right now. I'm telling you, it's really a thing. Like something, you know, no, it's such a thing. It's such a thing. Really, really. Like this is what I kept saying in rehearsal. I was like, listen, if we're gonna say that you have to respect the choice of a woman, but that doesn't mean you get to pick which woman. It's it's, it's it shouldn't it be every woman's choice what they want to do with their mm. own bodies and their own self. Whether, whether they would do this or they wouldn't, it has to be everybody. It can't just be the women that you agree with. Or else that's not right. really, <laughs> Yeah. then it's not really, you know. Ever since the election last year, I watched this thing happen. Um, and sometimes amongst friends of mine even. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a very liberal person. Let me just put that out there. I'm a very <laughs> liberal person. This is the way that I live my life. And also part of what that means to me is that I have a lot of conservative friends because I'm a liberal person. I don't need them to be liberal to be my friend. Mm-hmm. They can live their lives and be conservative as long as they don't put it on mine. Mm-hmm. Then we're cool. But so I think that it's, I think we have to be really careful to not become liberal bigots. <laughs> it's really, really hard because we're responding to so much and it mm-hmm. makes sense. But I have seen this thing where it's like, there is this kind of thing where if it's a group of, I've seen this before, it's like a group of very, very liberal person, people and that there's someone that doesn't quite fit into that, they're right. automatically like, whoa, man, like, we don't, <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to have this conversation. It's like, all right, well, we don't want to do the exact same thing right. that we're accusing others of doing. I know how hard it is, though, but we, right. we got to find a way. You know, these were the things that my friends and I were talking about after seeing the play because it really did feel like Emmy, Emmy did not for a second feel dumb or, like, she'd internalized some weird messaging or, like, she was just doing what society told her. And... Oh, good. I'm glad but you it, thought that. Oh, yeah. No, really. <laughs> I was like, it's no, like, I think she just wants to do this. I mean, in such a way that it's like almost surprising to hear that that was ever something that was discussed. Although, of course, that's how you get it to that place. So that makes sense. But I feel like there's um, ugh, it's really delicate and it's really hard to talk about. But I feel something similar, which is just that fear mongering and paranoia goes both ways. Totally. So like Trump succeeded and you know, doing it with whoever felt compelled to vote for him. And I'm trying really hard to not let his 
everything his administration is doing like make me that way too yeah. and just be like reactive yeah. and black and white as totally. you said okay this is a different <laughs> subject <laughs> you're also a singer yeah um what do you get out of that that you don't get from acting um, how are they different for you that's a really interesting question what do i get from it i find that when i sing when i would sing with my band it was a little more naked for me because it was lyrics that I had written. It was music that I had written. It was my singing voice. It, it, like, I wasn't, as a character, singing. I was, and I haven't done a, I haven't done um, a professional, well, I did one, but it was a long, 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 long time ago before <laughs> I went to school. But I, in, in terms of my singing experience as an adult, um, it's always been um, with my band. And mm-hmm. so that is like, it's, it's like, it's like, feels like projecting your diary on a wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's, like, what it feels like. Whereas, like, acting, I'm projecting someone else's diary on a wall, and right. I'm reenacting their diary. Yeah. But with singing, it's literally just like, here, read my diary. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, but, but I find that um, scary and also very, very thrilling and also... Um, there is something about singing the the music that I've written and singing the lyrics that I wrote that feels like that it I don't know how to describe it but it feels like it just feels like it's something that I'm supposed to do. I'll put it that way. It just feels like it's something that that has to happen. Um and I haven't I haven't performed with my band in quite some time because everybody started doing different things and I was like okay and then I also got really busy with acting and, and I you know so I was like okay well that's okay like that's let's allow this to grow and see where it ends and so um I've been writing um <laughs> and so I'm excited to see what my next project will be <laughs> me too <laughs> um you mentioned that you were kind of itching to get back on stage yeah uh have you Ew, I was going to be like, have you scratched that itch? But it felt really pervy or something. <laughs> um, what do you get out of stage acting that you don't get out of awesome. acting on screen? <laughs> um, there's really nothing like live theater. I mean, you re- like it's it's a conversation and, it, and it's and it's it's happening right before it's happening live for us it's happening live for the other it's it's mm-hmm. like there's nothing like it you can't call cut you don't get to look at different edits like you are there and whatever you have to give that night that is what you are giving and if that there was and what i love about it too is there's something very cool of like i was there that day when you know yeah, yeah. every <laughs> performance is like once it's oh, it's almost like sand art it's like we create it and then we wipe it away and then we do it again the next day and so if you're there, you catch it. And if you didn't catch it, then you might not catch it. You can go see it on a screen somewhere, but there's something, it's, it's magic. It literally is magical. I think my mom used to tell me the story that I used to say, like, when I was little, I was like, when am I going to be to become a magic lady? I called <laughs> actors and actresses magic people. Like, magic lady meant actor. So that's really, like, what it is. Oh, my gosh. Magic lady. Did and then the last time I saw her, now that I'm remembering, because I was wondering why she said this. The last time I saw her, she was like, look at you, magic lady. So now I understand why. She says, I couldn't figure out until just now why she said that. But <laughs> it, I was like, magic lady. Then I was like, oh, because I used to say that. So, yeah, it's oh like we're God. magicians. Yeah. We time travel, you know. That's true. You get to go, you know what I mean? And, and there's just something so magical about it. And it's, it's hard. I mean, takes a certain level of endurance to do to do you know it you know it takes a it's a lot you know but it's something that 
and then again, like when it ends, whenever it closes, uh, people have this. Um, I have a lot of friends that get like, what do they call it? Like end of show blues. Mm-hmm. The people get really sad at the end. I hardly don't get that. No matter how much I've loved a show, because it feels like sand art. So I'm like, it's like Burning Man, you know. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, we we set it on fire and it's gone. And it's like, what's been amazing? <laughs> so, oh, that is like a fully evolved <laughs> place of like acceptance. Um, that I truly aspire to. <laughs> Condola, thank you so much for doing totally. this. It was, was really, really fun. Such a joy. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That was Condola Rashad, who's currently starring in the Broadway play A Doll's House Part 2. Up next on the Rookie Podcast, if you've ever wanted to look like a million bucks without spending basically any money, tune in for this life skill with Krista Burton. Life Skills started on our website, RookieMag.com, by Krista Burton, who is brilliant and knows a zillion different life hacks that she's been generous to share with all of us. You may remember Krista from our first episode where she told us how to ask out a stranger. Now she's back, telling us how to look like a million bucks even when you don't have much money to spend on clothes. Hi, my name is Krista Burton and I live in Minneapolis. And today I want to talk to you all about how to look elegant or riche or at least kind of stylish even though you are flat out broke. This subject is near and dear to my heart because I have spent a vast majority of my teens and 20s and early 30s, hey, (laughs) being like very, very paycheck to paycheck. And so I don't have money for things that magazines suggest like, oh, this cute top is such a steal at $79. Are you kidding me? $79 for a shirt? No. Okay. No, I can't be doing that. So I cheat by pulling together looks for way, way, way less and having people still ask me where I get them because it still looks good. First of all, let me just say, not wanting to look totally flat out broke and still wanting to look good and stylish is okay and does not make you vain. Or like a pretender who's, who cares what everybody thinks. Like, who cares? It's okay. We all want to look good. Yay. So if you're really, really scrounging for pennies, what you need to do is you need to get to a thrift store. And you need to go on half-off day. And if you don't know when half-off day is at your nearest thrift store, then go in and ask. Sometimes they have signs on the window. And sometimes it's a kind of thrift store that doesn't have a half-off day. Whatever. Just find out when the next day that their sale is. And if there are no thrift stores anywhere near where you live, find out when the H&M in the closest big city to you has a huge sale day, which is usually sometime when the seasons are changing, like uh, the end of winter or the end of summer. They always will have signs that say 40% off, 70% off. Go in then and get as much as you can. Okay, so let's say you do know where a thrift store is or a charity shop. You need black clothes. It's very old advice, and I'll tell you why. Because black is timeless, black is mysterious, it's chic, it's elegant. Black literally looks good on everyone. There is no one that black looks terrible on. And you'll be able, probably, 
helps you find black things that fit you fairly well. Pick up basics. Get a black tank top. Get a pair of black pants. Get a black skirt or and get a black dress. Get everything that you want in black. And even if it's a slightly strange cut, a slightly strange cut in black looks like you meant to do it oftentimes instead of a slightly strange cut in, say, hot pink or yellow. And that just looks like, hmm, I've made a mistake maybe. And uh, here I am broadcasting my mistake for everyone. Now, black, it leaves people wondering. So mysterious. Also, at the thrift store, pick up a couple colorful accessories if you can afford them. Like, get some fun earrings, get some brightly colored leg warmers or a, a, a vintage scarf. And your whole outfit will be all black, pops of color, and you'll look great. As if you meant to do this. Once you've assembled your pile of all black basics, they're probably all going to be different shades of black. We don't want this. This is not mysterious and chic. Different shades of black just means, oh, someone washed this and washed this and washed this until it turned into kind of a brownie black or a purpley black. We don't want this. No. The way to be stylish for us is to have them all look like we just bought them all from the same store. So what we're going to do is a trick that my mom taught me, and that's take all of your black clothes and dump them all together into a big pot full of black writ dye. That's R-I-T, writ dye, which you can get at any craft store. Follow the directions on the box, dump all of your black clothes from the thrift store into the same pot of black dye, and presto, all of your clothes are identically black, and they look brand spanking new it is nuts it's so cool uh how fast your clothes will look brand new if you dye them in a a giant black vat of dye the one thing to spend real money on if you can possibly scrounge some up is your shoes i want to go ahead and say right now forget about bags You can always get a funny bag or a cute bag or a little sleek bag at a thrift store or a little cheap something at a corner store and look like, ooh, look at me, I'm definitely carrying this ironically, hey, (laughs) or because I think it's cute. Like, it it doesn't matter. You don't need to spend money on bags. You don't need to spend money actually on anything. But if you do want to, like, really clean up your look, the one thing I would say to scrounge and save your money on is shoes. Buy the actual best shoes you can afford, even if you can afford very little. So all black, decent shoes, vaguely mysterious and fantastic, and ta-da! You don't look broke. You look great. Thank you so much, Krista. And if there's a life skill you need to know, let us know by finding us at RookieMag on Twitter or Instagram and telling us. This week is Pride Month, where we celebrate all things LGBTQ. So we'd like to ask you, what are you doing to celebrate? Or we'd like to know, how did you come out to your loved ones, if you have already, and how did they react? Send us your submissions and your stories, either as text or a short voice memo, along with your first name or nickname, age, and location to podcast at rookiemag.com. That's it for the show this week. I'm Tavi Gavinson, and don't forget to tune in next week for part two of my interview with Lord. When you're a teenager, you especially when you're at the end of being a teenager, you think, 
I know everything there is to know. I've, mm. I know it all. It's, it's <laughs> all in front of me. What else could there possibly mm. be? And just at the mo- moment when you your head is so big, <laughs> that's when the secret door is presented to you and you go through it and you don't know anything anymore. <laughs> Visit us at RookieMag.com, RookiePodcast.MTV.com and at RookieMag on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Tavi Tool, T-A-V-I-T-U-L-L-E. Plus, check out podcasts.mtv.com and at MTV Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram for more shows from the MTV Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.